chapter number 30. What a blessing. You kids did an awesome job. That was so good. And I got I to gotta tell you, I want to eat at Sean's house now. And uh, uh, boy, I tell you what, uh, I, I was blessed with those testimonies. Uh, I'll tell you one thing you learn about uh, boys especially. Talk about how they're thankful for food. When all else fails, you can't remember what mom and dad do for you. Uh, they make us food, right? Because food is amazing, especially for these young boys. First Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for just a little bit. First Samuel chapter 30. And uh, I want to talk to you about why we need real manhood today. And what the Bible says about what biblical manhood is. Uh, it may shock you that... Um, uh, that, that, it, that what God calls manhood is not necessarily what the world calls manhood. And the reason you're having an overall uh, rejection of manhood in society today is because the version of manhood that they're seeing is man without God. And so naturally they go, well, then manhood must be the problem. No, it's men without God that's the problem. And so I want to talk about why biblical manhood, why, why we need real manhood today. Look, if you were to 1 Samuel chapter 30, and uh, starting in verse number 1, it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. For the, talk about a bad day. This is, your bad day is you had a bad day in traffic. This guy's bad day is people want to kill me because things have turned bad. The Bible says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, Bring me hither the ephod, and Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord. He's asking God for direction. Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, God, answered him, saying, Pursue, for thou shalt overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those were that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 abode behind which were so faint they could not go over the brook before. Look down at verse 16. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread about, talking about the army of the Amalekites, upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil, including their families that they had taken, that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the hand of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight, even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled, and David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking of them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that they had taken of them. David recovered 
all. I want to talk to you this morning about why we need some men like David today. Why we need some real manhood today. I'm going to ask Brother Joe if you would open us up in a word of prayer, sir. Amen. Be seated if you would. Now, I realize that the title to the message is kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe seen by some people as uh, chauvinistic or, uh, you know, something that's a a throwback from the 1950s or, you know, whatever. I I just want to say this. My premise for presenting this message is not uh, that men are better than women, all right? So can we, can we at least just get that out of the way right now? Today, what society has done is pit men against women and women against men as if we're meant to compete. We are not meant to compete. We are meant to complement each other. But let me just say this right now. Men, you are needed, and men, you are called to be different than the women. Regardless of what they tell you in school, kids, men and women are different, We are not the same for a lot of reasons outside of just the piping. There's more to it than that. God made us different for a reason. He made us to complement each other. And when you have a society that rejects manhood and embraces feminism, you're going to have an imbalanced society. Don't you listen to my words. I didn't say they embrace femininity. That is a biblical idea. When you embrace feminism at the cost of manhood, it is out of balance. And that is where we're at today. We tell the girls all the time, you, this is what's going on in society, whether you want to admit it or not. Tell the girls you can be whatever you want. You can grow up and be a boss babe. You can be whatever you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. And the boys were like, just sit back and watch. And now we're seeing the effects of it. We're seeing the effects of a society that doesn't have male role models. And let me say this right now. If our city and our country has a shot, gentlemen, it'll be because they see real biblical men. It is not going to be a matter of of a political movement that fixes anything. Gentlemen, I'm going to be preaching to you primarily. But ladies, don't, don't think that you're off the hook here. There's some things in David's life that you can apply as well. But I I think one of the issues we have today is this, is that people think that manhood itself is the problem. That would be like a man that's bitter with women saying womanhood is the problem. That's not the problem. It is a false matter of, a false identifying of what manhood is. I read this article and it said manhood is the problem. And this is a man that writes this, men are terrible people. They commit significantly more violent crimes, robberies, and assaults each year than women do, according to the Department of Justice. They're more likely to show anger in the workplace and be rewarded for it, while women are affected negatively for the same behaviors. They even take up too much space on public transportation. When manspreading, I could keep going. This is a man that writes this. 
men probably dominate all these terrible statistics because now and throughout history, they've dominated the world. Can I also say it was men that rode off of a, a, a U-craft boat and rode off of an amphibious boat there on the beaches of Normandy and sacrificed their life and gave their life to defeat fascism so you can have freedom today? It goes both ways, boy. It's not just that men are the problem because they cause these... Let me say this. Mankind, men and women are sinners. It is not a matter of too much men or too much manhood. As a matter of fact, you need to understand the real problem is this. When you look at a man like Jesus Christ, he is the greatest example. He is a true biblical. He is real manhood defined. And he was not all the things that they talk about with toxic masculinity. But here's the question I have for someone that writes an article like that. If there are no differences, which this guy also believes, between men and women, don't you feel like this article is a little hypocritical? If there are no differences, the hypocrisy is kind of deafening. Can I say this? For generations, we've told society they don't need men. And now fathers are absent. Do you know what the number one uh, uh, root cause is with, with uh, uh, criminal behavior in young people? You know what the number one cause is? Men aren't around. That's a true statistic. The issue is not that, that men themselves, uh, it's the lack of biblical, real manhood. Let, let me say this. If you say that men and women are the same, then guess what? We don't treat them special. Down goes chivalry. And you know what you have? You have men that act like animals because they're told, do whatever you feel like doing. There are no consequences. There are no absolutes. There are no final truths. Do whatever feels good in your heart. And now we're seeing the results of it in society. You've got generations that don't have biblical father figures in the home. You know what's going on with the crime out there and the young men that are going uh, awry? You say, why is all that? Because there's not a biblical man to be there. It's not because there was a, a, a too much manhood. No, we got the wrong kind of manhood. Gentlemen, I want to challenge you today. I want you to understand this, that if we want to fix anything in society, we need to look in the mirror. We need to understand God did make us men and women. He made us different. And, and, and let me just say this. You put boys and girls in the same room. You throw, you know, uh, uh, Barbies in one section and you throw, you know, guns and, and cars in another section. I'm not saying that girls will never play with cars and boys will never play with dolls. But can we just admit that generally speaking, we're going to watch them gravitate in two different directions. Can we admit that this morning and be factual and scientific about it and logical about it? Then why is that? Where did that difference come from? It came from the designer, the creator himself, God. Our Heavenly Father put that in us to be different. So young men, let me say this. If you're different, ask yourself, why is that? Why did God make me different than a female? What is it? This, it's not just the biology. There's more to it than that. Recently, I was watching some people at a women's march, and, and they asked women at a young college-age American, young women, uh, at a women's march, what's a woman? Uh, I don't know. You're marching for it. You better figure it out. That's where we're at today. And guys, I'll be honest with you, it's kind of scary. Because when you can get people to think that way, you can program them to do and say anything. The reality is this, guys, men, uh, biblical manhood. We are told in the Bible by Paul to watch ye, to stand in the faith, to quit you like men and be strong. Not quit as in quit doing something, but quit as in the Webster's Dictionary definition, to carry through, to do or perform something to the end. In our story, you know what David does not do? He does not quit until the job is done. 
David sees the situation and he sees the problem and his family is now gone and all the stuff he worked for is gone. And rather than sitting down and blaming society and blaming everybody else, you know what he does? He takes ownership and says, I can do something about this. Gentlemen, can I say this? It's time for us to take ownership. I want you to look in our story and I want you to see that David has lost everything. The world has taken what was once his and what God had given him. And he has a choice in regards to what to do. And he kind of had to make that choice alone. And gentlemen, I want to say this. Some choices you have to make and make a stand for the Lord, you have to make them alone. Can I say that's what separates the boys from the men? It's easy to do something in a crowd. But when you're by yourself and everybody's against you, that's completely different. You know what I see when I, I, I look at real, I see the story in the life of David. And by the way, can I remind you, David is not just, I, I want to be clear with you, it's not like David's just a warrior, and that's what he's a man, he killed a bunch of dudes, yeah! David's also the guy that writes the Psalms. You know, in thee, O oh Lord, do I have my hope, and you know, I was distraught, why art thou disquieted, O oh, my soul, from within me? I mean, he's kind of got the archy, touchy-feely side to him as well. I'm not saying that, that manhood equates to, I chopped someone's head off, that makes me a man. All right, I I want you to understand that's not the moral of the story, but I do want you to see, gentlemen, that as it relates to morals, as it relates to the direction of your family, as it relates to provision, by the way, I just got to get this off my chest, gentlemen, spend less time playing video games and more time working with your hands. Do something with your mind and with your body that's productive. We've got an entire generation that's built like this, and then when they have to interact with the opposite sex, can I text her? Go look at her in the eye and talk to her. Say, how are you? And I don't mean like this. Hey, baby. If I see that at church, it'll be the last time I see you looking at a girl that way, young men. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, gentlemen, what I want you to understand, though, is this. Biblical manhood, number one, takes ownership. Look, if you would, at verse number nine in our passage. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse number nine. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, verse 10. Gentlemen, can I say this? Uh, David had a moment for weeping. Look back at verse 6. Uh, look back at verse 4. I mean, if you came and saw your, fa- your family's gone, it's kind of like a perfect narrative for a Liam Neeson movie, right? You come back home, the house is burnt down, the family's gone. And you call the guy, I will find you. I mean, that's kind of what David does. He kind of gets down, he, he prays. And after he prays, listen, he weeps. Gentlemen, it's okay to have emotion. We're going to talk about that. There's nothing wrong with emotion. You ought to have emotion for the right things. But listen, after David wept, he had to get up. And you know what David did not do? He did not blame society for a situation. He did not blame the government for a situation. He didn't even blame pop culture for a situation. David said, regardless of whose fault this is, something has happened. I have the ability to do something about it. I'm going to do something. Real biblical manhood does not point the finger at everybody else for them being the problem. It takes ownership. It takes me looking in the mirror going, Lord, can I do something about this? Lord says, yes, okay, Lord, then I'm going to do something about this. I'm not going to blame my parents. Can I say this? Blaming your parents has an expiration date on it. It's called the day you left home. Are you hearing me? All right. Well, you know what biblical manhood does? It looks in the mirror and says, I can do something. By by the grace of God, I'm going to take ownership of this. He could have blamed Saul. You know the last king, Saul? 
It was his fault the Amalekites were even still around. Saul was supposed to wipe them all out several chapters earlier. He doesn't do it. David could have said, God, this is your fault. Why'd you let Saul do that? Uh, Why'd you let me be born into this family? How come I didn't have this? My dad didn't treat me right. Fill in the blank. But he didn't do that. He said, here's the situation. Here's something I can do about it. I will do something about it with the grace of God. You know what that is, gentlemen? Taking ownership. This idea of everyone being a victim has got to die with the Christian. If it doesn't die with us, it will continue to perpetuate through our society. Here's what a lost man wrote. A lost man, not a saved man. Your complaints, your drama, your victim mentality, your whining, your blaming, and all of your excuses have never gotten you a single step closer to your goals or your dreams. Let go of your nonsense let go of the delusion that you deserve better and go earn it. That, gentlemen, is what being a man is all about. It's you looking in the mirror going, I didn't have control over the Amalekites coming. I didn't have control over what took place. It's not my fault that all this happened, but by the grace of God, I can do something about it. I'm not going to blame everybody else in my life for why things are the way they are. I'm going to take ownership at this point and do something with God's help. Can I say this? This is missing from the church. This is missing from the church today. You know, a lot of churches, I'm thankful we have some good men here, but I'll tell you what, guys, in a lot of churches today, it's the women that do everything. You know why they've taken ownership? You know why, gentlemen? Because for far too long, you've sat back. Far too long in our society, the men have just sort of sat back and said, okay, you drive. And listen, listen to me very carefully. God, you go back to Genesis chapter 3, You know the burden that God puts on her? You better say amen to this. Pain in childbirth and pregnancy. pregnancy. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that's the thing on her. He did not put on her the burden that he puts on Adam. When you take Adam's burden and you put it on Eve, now she's bearing double the curse. She's not made for that, gentlemen. And you know what? Let me say this as well. For some of you young guys, maybe you don't know this and maybe you weren't shown, so let me help you out a little bit. It is your job to provide. It is your job to lead. It is your, not because you are better, not because God's a chauvinist, but because God put something in you to lead. That's why, by the way, that's why you moms with little boys, you better not let them run all over you because they're made to dominate. And if you don't put them in their place, they will run smack all over you mamas. And then guess what? When they get a wife someday, they're going to treat her the same way. But you know what I want you to understand? God did put in them to lead, but they have to be shown to follow first. You know what David did? David saw an opportunity to lead. Can I say this? Gentlemen, do you lead right when everybody else is still against you? Can I remind you in this story? They spake of stoning him. They wanted to kill everybody, all his friends. How do you go from a group of 600 guys want to kill him? Look at if you would at verse number uh, 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 9. They went from wanting to stone him to wanting to follow him. Why do you suppose that is? Do you think maybe there was something about the character of David and taking ownership for the problem that inspired them to do better than just point the finger? When you've got problems in your home, gentlemen, those of you that are married, do you just start pointing the finger? Can I say this? That does not inspire them to follow you. Can I say this, young man, for you to, to point the fingers at your parents and, and to say, man, society did this, and so, rather than saying, you know what, I'm going to look in the mirror, I'm going to take ownership, that inspires people. You know what Jesus Christ did? He took ownership when he didn't have to. He took ownership of your sin when he didn't have to do that, because he could. You know what Jesus says? Because I laid down my life, 
that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. You know what that is? That is not the sound of a victim. That's the sound of someone that says, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing it for a purpose. Number one, gentlemen, take ownership. Secondly, can I say this? Biblical manhood is willing to go against the crowd. Look at verse number six. When everybody's talking about killing you, you kind of have to, you have to find a creative way to go against the crowd. Are you with me? I mean, they want him dead. Why? Because he's supposed to be the leader. And man, things were going to go, they were going great up until this moment. And David, you must have steered us wrong for this to happen. Never did it dawn on those following David that maybe God was allowing some things for a particular purpose. All they did is they looked at David and said, you're the leader. You're now a dead man. And David by himself, he doesn't have any friends, guys. When you've got 600 trained soldiers and they're talking about killing you, you are outnumbered. You know what that means? You have to learn to go against the crowd sometimes. Listen, when you stand up for Jesus Christ, gentlemen, and you lead your family in righteousness, and you do that, with your, and you set some standards for your home. Hey, we're not going to watch that. Hey, we're not going to listen to that. Hey, we're not going to talk that way. Hey, guess what? I don't care how old you think you are. If you live in this house, you're home at this time at night. When you lead your family the right way, the world is not going to like all of that. You might have to go against the crowd a little bit. Let me ask you a question. How do you deal with being against, uh, going against the crowd? All on your own. They're all against you. You're by yourself. That, gentleman is where you separate the men from the boys. It's not, listen, living for God has never been popular. Ever. And you're seeing a society that has no God and especially no paternal influence you know what men, you know what you fathers are supposed to be? You're supposed to be a picture of God to your children. When you get rid of the idea of a biblical father and what biblical men are, people don't know who God is. And so what you're looking at society right now is you're looking at a society that, that has no use for God at all. And that's where you live and exist right now, gentlemen. Are you okay with going against the crowd? They start telling dirty jokes at work. Gentlemen, what do you do? kind of snicker and kind of walk away or do you ever have enough gumption to stand up and go hey i'm a christian it's not funny hey hey by the way we have women in the workplace and i don't think it's funny to joke about that or hey let's say it's the women telling the joke <laughs> hey uh i don't see what's so funny are you in junior high still i thought we we're a, i thought we we're supposed to be in a professional environment here can you have do you guys have the backbone to stand up and to say something, and to be a light for Jesus Christ, and to be different? Or is it always about blending in? Let me ask you this. Do you realize when you're a chameleon, after a while, nobody knows what to expect from you? After a while, gentlemen, they just kind of figure out, you know what? He gets talked about going to church, even invited me to church, but he's just like I am. You know what they need to see? Some people that have a backbone that will be willing to stand up and go, hey, this isn't right. Here's the direction I'm going to go in. You don't have to be a self-righteous jerk about it. But can I say this as well? You sit there, some of you men, you will sit there and listen to things and hear things and see things. And at a certain point, does it not grieve your spirit? Is there not a point where you go, you know what? For nothing else but for the sake of my conscience, I've got to say something. When they use my God's name as a curse word, and then they look at me like, what's the response? And I say, hey, look, I'm not mad at you, but uh, I'd appreciate if you wouldn't ask him to do that. Ask him to do what? Well, you just ask God to damn something. I'd appreciate if you want, because if he wants to, you don't want to be around for it to happen. Are you with me? <laughs> Well, every once in a while, saying something and opening your mouth, gentlemen, would be a great thing. 
Listen, for the rest of your life, you can't blame. If you're a child of God, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to enjoy being a Christian or you're going to get stuck in a rut where you just want to blend in with everything and everybody else. Moses was alone in Egypt. Paul was alone in jail. Jesus was alone in a garden. David was alone fighting Goliath. Some of you guys take care way too much what people think about you. And that's why, as men, some of you aren't advancing like you could. You know what's amazing? You go to work, and you're like, boss, tell me anything I need to do to be better at my job. And then they tell you, okay, I'll do that, and I'll study that. And I'll do. You go to a sports coach, tell me every, if I'm slacking, I want you to make me do extra drills. I want you to make me a better player in basketball and football and whatever. You come to church, and someone says, hey, here's how you can do better. You're like, who does he think he is? I'm a nobody, but I know this much. You men especially need to be challenged. You need to be told, here's where the bar should be set. And by the grace of God, you need to learn to go against the crowd every once in a while. Stand out. Man, say something. It used to be years ago. I asked, I asked a, a, a preacher recently, I said, what's the biggest thing in ministry you've seen in the last 40, 50 years? You know what he said? It used to be when you went out in the street and you preached the gospel and they didn't like what you said, it was the man that would cuss you out. Now, it's the woman cussing you out, and the man's just kind of sitting there. You know what's happened? Men, you've taken the back seat. And you just want to just, just, just have peace, just have peace, just have peace. Just, I, I don't want to rock, rock the boat. Don't wanna, hey, can I tell you this? Jesus Christ rocked the boat. Jesus Christ stood out. Can I ask you something, gentlemen? Are you willing to be alone? If that's what God wants? Paul says this, being confident of this very thing. The author of Hebrews says, casting, away, casting not away your confidence. Gentlemen, you know what we need? We need some confident men. Do you know why David was confident? Because he knew that by being alone, even though everybody else was against him, he was following what God wanted. That gives you confidence. You know why some of you are kind of not so confident? Because you're looking around going, is it okay? What do they think? What do they think? Uh, is it okay with you? Listen, let me tell you something. Recently, somebody asked me at work, should we ask everybody what, what they want to do with this? I said, absolutely not. You ask everyone, you're going to get 20 different answers. You'll be stuck and you won't do anything. At a certain point, you've got to make the decision. Gentlemen, can I say this? At a certain point, you're going to have to learn to say, I'm okay with being alone. I'm okay with standing out. I'm okay with going. Can I remind you who the crowd is? Can I remind you who that is? The crowd is the people who throw the palm leaves down and the next minute they're crying, crucify him, we have no king but Caesar. The crowd in the book of Acts was the one that when Paul and Barnabas came, they're like, you must be the gods that fell down from the planet Jupiter. You are gods. And they're starting to bring them garlands and food and they're worshiping Paul and Barnabas. And then within a few verses, they're wanting to stone them. Why would you want to have the crowd's approval? They don't know where they're going or what they're doing. They're kind of like lemmings, and they go off a cliff without thinking about it. Listen, you don't want that. You know what you want? You want God's approval. That might mean you have to be alone. Look, if you would, at verse 4 in our passage, it's okay to have emotions, gentlemen. I want to say it again. There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with emotion. There is nothing wrong with weeping. There's nothing wrong with excitement. Jesus wept, and the disciples were sorrowful. And David, in our passage, he weeps until he has no more power to weep. There's nothing wrong with pouring out your heart to God. There's, not, there's no lack of manhood there. But can I say this? David, in order to recover all that was lost, had to rise above 
his emotions. And gentlemen, let me say this right now. I know this is going to, some of you are not going to like this, and that's all right. But there's some things in the Bible that God gives us that clarifies why we're different from each other, men and women. And it says that, that, that women can be, quote unquote, saved in childbearing. Not saved as in the salvation of their soul, but saved from deception. You know why? Because during certain times of their life, their emotions are all over the place. Can I get a witness, ladies? Can you help me out a little bit? Don't leave me out. Don't hang me out to dry. Don't, l- l- let's be honest about this. And gentlemen, your job is to not go on the ride with her. You need to be stable. You need to be a rock. You know what that means? In order to accomplish what God wants you to do and who God wants you to be, you can't follow your emotions to get the job done. If David followed his emotions, he would have done nothing but stayed right there because of sorrow and grief. David danced before the Lord. Jesus wept. Jeremiah lamented. The disciples were sorrowful. The disciples were also glad. But can I also point out, Esau was sorrowful, but it led to his rebellion. Judas was sorry, but it led to his hanging. Peter was angry, and it led to someone losing their ear. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Emotions aren't the problem. It's when they start to run you. And gentlemen, I want to help you. You want to lead the right way? You can't let your emotions get the best of you. You know what they say about professionals in sports? They don't let their emotions, they kind of keep a cool mind about where they're going and what the job is. They're driven by passion. They're fueled by it. But they don't allow that to take over. Once that takes over, your decision-making is skewed. You know what real biblical manhood is? It's sitting back going, I'm going through something. This is hard. And I pour my heart out to God. And then after that, I go, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Because I know that I'm not going to get anything done if I spend the next 50 years of my life sorrowing over something that happened in the past. It's time to move on. It's time for me to act now. That's what biblical manhood is about. Come with me if you would to Acts 27. Acts 27. You know why some men leave their spouses and go after someone else following their emotions? You know why some pastors leave the ministry following their emotions? Do you know why some young men get caught up with the wrong girl following their emotions? Gentlemen, it's okay to have emotions, but you should not let your emotions dictate what you're going to do in your life. You're supposed to be the ones that say, you know what? I need to bring some stability here. David did exactly that against all the odds. Look at Acts 27. I want to give you an example of someone else that did this and I think was very successful as a man doing it. Look at verse 20. This is Paul being at sea and being in a ship that eventually got shipwrecked. Look at verse 20. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest, that means it's a big storm, lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. And that's when I fell apart and I cried the rest of the trip and said, God, why did you leave me here to die? Look at verse 22. It's not what happened. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Wait a minute, man. I just read in verse number 20. You can't see the sun. You can't see the stars. It's a huge storm, big uh, tropical type hurricane situation. And in verse 22, you're exhorting them to be of good cheer. 
You say, how, how does someone do that? Look at verse 23. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Gentlemen, Paul was all by himself. No one else agreed with Paul. He was the only one there representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And rather than losing his cool and losing his mind, you know what some of you do? Instead of going to God with your problems, gentlemen, you go to something else and you get lost in that thing and that thing takes over your life. And before you know it, you are all over the place and God's trying to say, look, there's going to be storms, there's going to be problems, there's going to be Amalekites that come and take things away. But it's on you, gentlemen, to step back after you poured your heart out to God and rather than being just like everybody else say you know what I know it's going to be just fine why because God's with me do you men believe that if God's with you you know what you can do you just go hey honey it's going to be all right hey you know what I don't need that stuff anymore I don't need to go back to that I don't need to go back to that old crowd just because the pressure got tight and just because things got hard. I can stand by myself and I can stand by myself with nobody else because I know that But when I say by myself, God is standing next to me and he's leading this and it's gonna be all right. Paul was the only one that thought that. And you know what? Paul was right. And let me just say this right now. If you're a child of God, you may be the only one that believes that Jesus Christ around in your sphere of influence at work or somewhere else. You may be the weirdo that stands out and says, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is coming back someday. Man, I'm gonna live my life. They may look at you and think you have like 10 different heads because you're just crazy to them. And they may think you're insane. But you know what? In the end, guess what? Everyone on that boat knew that Paul was sent from God because he was the only one that spoke the truth and lived to see it come through. Christian, can I say this? You need to learn to stand alone, especially you men. You need to learn to say, hey, it's okay. God's with me on this. His, I have his word on it. Look, if you would, at 1 Samuel chapter 30, that reminds me of something else. Biblical manhood learns to ask, the ladies are going to like this one, <laughs> learns to ask for directions. Amen. Oh, man. Us guys are in trouble there, aren't we? A biblical man doesn't have to say, baby, I know wrong. I mean, you can, you, you know, I don't even know maps. I don't need that stupid GPS, QPS, whatever that thing is. I, I know where I'm at. It's put inside of my mind. You know, I know where I'm going here. The first argument we had that was kind of like a, it was a cute argument. It wasn't like a bad one. The, the first real argument I remember was over Monopoly because she was cheating. <laughs> kind of the other way around in all honesty. I'm in church. Sorry, Lord. All right. Uh, but, but our first cute argument was the day, literally, I mean, an hour and a half removed from our wedding reception. She's like, I don't think you're going the right way. I'm like, I know where I'm going. I didn't know where I was going. And we got lost and looking around. Shouldn't you ask for directions? This is before GPS, all right, guys? Before I had the ability to put it on your phone. Shouldn't you ask for directions? Can I just say this right now? Sometimes, listen to me, when you're going into a new subdivision or a new development, Google Maps does not work very well. Anybody ever been through that before? And you go somewhere and go, wait, it says that I should turn here, but there's a field right there. Don't turn in the field, all right? Don't, don't be a sucker and follow that thing in the field or into a lake. Understand that you're not losing your mind. It just, the GPS hasn't caught up. Do you realize when you're going to a new territory in life, the world can't always tell you where to go. Sometimes you've got to stop and ask for directions. Gentlemen, look at verse 7. The Bible says, David said to Abiathar the priest, Elimelech, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephah. That was something they used to talk with God. Can I tell you, gentlemen, what that is for you today? It's this book right here. You're going to make direction. You're going you're gonna to pull your family in a direction that can have eternal consequences. You better know that it's right. Amen. 
And the only way to know that it's right is by this book right here. You want to go, God, I don't know where I'm going. I'm not smart enough. And by the way, a biblical man is humble enough to admit he doesn't know everything. You're not going to be good at everything. And to say, God, I need help right now. David did that. And God answered him. Can I ask you a question, gentlemen? Who are you talking to about your life? Who are you taking your problems to? Who are you asking direction from? Can I give you a little piece of advice? If your way for finding out help is Googling everything, you're in trouble. What does God say about, don't go to Google. If your way of trying to get advice, especially for you young guys, is by Snapchatting it up and TikToking it up and Facebook and the rest of it and trying to figure out which way to go in life, forget that, that's going to be a mess. You're going to have to learn to go to God and say, God, regardless of what I feel, regardless of what they say, regardless of the circumstances, here's what you say. It sure doesn't seem possible. From my point of view, I have no idea how I can do this by myself. But you know what God was doing? God was already working in the hearts of those men around David, and he was saying, I want you men to look at your leader, and I want you to see what he's doing right now that you guys haven't done. You were ready to pick up a stone instead of go to God. You were ready to pick up a stone instead of picking up the scriptures. Watch what David's doing. And by David's example, he helped them out. Gentlemen, that's what we're called to do. We're called to be an example. Can I say this? Biblical manhood admits the need to ask for directions. Look, if you would, down at verse number 23. See what happens. Well, they win, and they win big, and they get everything back. And then there's these guys that basically say in verse 22, hey, there was 200 of us, there was 200 of these guys that didn't come all the way to fight with us, and there was 400 of us that went with you, David. We should keep everything, and those 200 guys should get nothing. You know what David said? No, that isn't right. Look at verse 23. Then said David, ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us, and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who shall hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. You know what I see here with David? Look at the, if you look at the rest of the verses, verse 26, verse 27, verse 28, verse 29, 30, 31. You know what David does? He takes all this stuff that they want in battle, and he goes, I want to give this out to people. I want to be a blessing now. You know what David did? He showed us biblical manhood is not about ourselves. It's about those following us. You know, biblical, I need to go to my man cave. I need to have some me time. What exactly does that mean? I mean, what, seriously, guys, what does that mean? Well, you know, guys just have to have guy time. Listen, once you have a wife, some of you guys are single and all you want is a wife and you want a wife, you want a wife. Let me tell you something. Once you have a wife, it's not about you anymore. Maybe we should stop there for a while. What do you mean, Pastor? I thought it was always about me. It wasn't about you before you got married, but especially now that you are married, it's not about you. Now it's about those who are following you, and it's about you taking care of them. You will never have a really happy life until you learn that. Gentlemen, you'll you'll feel much more fulfilled in life when you realize you are here to take care of someone else. You know what David did when he had an opportunity to keep everything for himself? He goes, no, 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 this wasn't about me. This is about God taking care of us. I want to be a blessing to them. Can I read to you the words of Jesus Christ? Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. 
Remember the time where his disciples come and they go, Master, you must be hungry. Don't you want some meat? And he goes, wait a minute. Gentlemen, you don't understand. The reason I'm not eating right now is because i got a different kind of meal that's, that's fulfilling me right now. It's spiritual nature, and it's about helping somebody besides myself. You know what we have? We have a generation of men that have been coddled, that have been told that they're, be- they're wonderful and that they're best and everybody deserves a trophy. And now that they're adults, they figured out, man, life has kicked me and I'm, I'm down. I don't know what to do. And you know what you need to learn to do? Understand it's not all about you. Gentlemen, it's about those who are around you. And if you're not married, those who God wants you to minister to. And if you don't have a girlfriend or you're not married, don't have kids, it's about ministering to your church family. It's about more than yourself. David got a hold of that. That's why David was the leader that God used. That's why men wanted to follow David. Gentlemen, if you ever feel like people just don't want to follow me, do you express that it's about you or about them? If you express it's about you, they will want to follow you. People wanted to follow Jesus Christ. Charity doth not behave itself seemly, seek, unseemly, seeketh not her own. Can I point out something? Look at verse 17. David smote them. Look at verse 18. David recovered all. Look at verse 18. David rescued. Look at verse 18. David, uh, verse 19. David recovered all. Look at verse 20. David took all. Verse 20. It's called David's spoil. Then in verse 23, you know what David says? I didn't do it. God did it. You know, do you see the principle here? David was the man God used, but David doesn't take the credit. He gives the credit back to God. I'm glad that my kids got up and said that. You know what I'm thinking when I'm sitting right there? You know, I'm thinking honestly, honest to God. I'm thinking the only reason my kids have a shot is because of Jesus Christ in my life. That's it. I know me better. I know me like they don't know me. And I know that if it wasn't for Jesus Christ in my life, there would be, you say, what am I trying to get at? What are you trying to get at, preacher? What I'm trying to get at is this. It's not about me. It's, gentlemen, it's not about you. It's about those who God has asked you to protect, to provide for, to lead, to guide. Let me say this in closing. Biblical manhood is about setting an example. Look, if you would, at verse 25. The Bible says, and it was so from that day forward, that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. You know, you know what, in so many words, you know what you're reading? They had never done this before. They had never said, okay, if one group goes and fights and one group stays behind to protect the stuff that is left, everyone parts alike. You know what David was? He was a trendsetter. You know what David did? He set the example. By doing something that no one had ever done before, but he was doing it because it was right, because he was following God. Gentlemen, can I say this? You might look around at your world and go, no one else talks like this, and no one else lives like this, and, and no one else refrains from going to the happy hour, and no one else says no to this. And no one, but The Bible says this, be ye holy, for I am holy. Gentlemen, let me say this right now. If you want people to follow you and see a difference, you've got to be different. And you've got to say, you know what? My heavenly Father is holy. I want to be holy as well. I'm not going to do that. Not because I think I'm better, but because I know what my Father wants for me. And I know who's following my example. I won't do that. I won't go there. I won't listen to that. I won't participate. Why? Not because I think I'm better. No, but because I know what God desires. He desires for me to leave an example behind me. Can I just say this? Jesus did exactly that. He set the example with them ripping his beard out, putting a crown of thorns on his head, put him on a cross. 
his response as a man. If you're here and you've never been born again, can I say this? The greatest man that ever lived loved you enough to die for you, was put on a cross and made an open shame. And all of your lust and all of your pride and all of your deceit and all of your hatred and all of your pride and egotism and narcissism, all of that was put on Jesus Christ. And he didn't have to do it. He did something that nobody else had done, wanted to do, or could do. And he changed history because of it. If you're here without Jesus Christ, can I encourage you to be saved today? If you're here and you came and you go, well, I, I, will, I know there's a God. I know that there's a, a God up there somewhere. I know he's the heavenly father. But I, if I die today, I'm not 100% sure that I go to heaven. I don't know where I would spend eternity. I, I'm trying to live a good life. I'm, I'm trying maybe to be a good dad. I'm trying to I hope that my good outweighs my bad in, my, in the judgment day. Can I say that's not how it works? You'll be measured against a sinless and perfect man named Jesus Christ, who, by the way, wants to take your sin off of you and give you his righteousness, why won't you choose to accept him today? Your life could be different forever. Some of you have made that choice and you've seen your life become different forever. Gentlemen, can I say this? We need biblical men. I wonder how many of you, some of you young men especially, will say, God, I don't know what you want from my life, but I want to be like David. I want to rise to the call of biblical manhood. Let's all stand, every head bowed and every eye closed. Gentlemen, you want to make a difference? Maybe hit the altar. <laughs> Say, God, help me to be like David. God, help me to lead my family the right way. God, help me to let go of some of the things I'm holding on to. And God, my, my preconceived notions about what manhood is all about, God, would you help me to put that aside? And, and the world's rejection of masculinity, can we put that aside? Neither of these things address, the, the issue has to do with biblical character. Gentlemen, I pray that you take advantage of this time and allow God to stir your heart to maybe rededicate some things to God. Maybe the direction of your, maybe there are some, some things that you've kind of, man, you had a hold of them and you let them go and maybe you're, you were like David and you've wept over some things, you've been frustrated over some things and emotions aren't bad, gentlemen, but you can't let them run your life. I wonder how many young men will say, God, help me to keep my mind and my body pure. I don't want to be defiled. I don't want to put images in my mind that don't belong there. I don't want to allow my temple to be defiled. Just because the world says it's okay and the world makes a joke out of it and a game out of who can get who in a certain place. God, I want to be different. God, help me. You know what that'll take, some of you young men? Pushing your emotions and your lust away and submitting to God. That is not easy. That's called biblical manhood. How many of you, men and women alike, in the day and age in which you live, are willing to stand up and go, I'll be different. I'll stand out. What are you, prude? Mid-Victorian prude? You think you're better? No, I don't think I'm better than anybody. That's the stuff you're going to get. And you can say in return, I just know that the stuff you're talking about and the stuff that everyone's going along with, it didn't bring me happiness before. I don't want to go back to it now. 
And the Bible says in Proverbs, it talks about a dog returning to his vomit. <laughs> That's a vile image, but it's, it's, a, it's a very illustrious one at the same time. You watch a dog do that and then lick it up, it's disgusting. That's what it's like when you go back to what God called you out of. Men, it's time for us to rise up and show the world what biblical manhood is about. Every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask a real simple question. And the question is this. Between you and the Lord, no one looking around, Are you 100% sure that you're a child of God, that you've been born again? If I slip in your hand up, you go, yep, I know I'm saved. I can remember the day, or hey, I don't remember the day, but I remember where I was at. I, I went from darkness to light. I went from lost to saved. I went from being a child of the devil to being a child of God. If you couldn't raise your hand, can I ask, is there anyone here this morning with no one looking around who would be honest enough to say, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. If I died today, I'm not sure. I don't know if I'm saved. And I'm not going to point you out, but I'd like to be able to pray for you. If you'd be honest enough to raise your hand, I'm, I promise I won't drag you down here, won't embarrass you but I'd like to pray for you. Because I'll tell you right now, I've heard some men in my lifetime say, I'm going to go to hell and have a party. You won't be in a party. And that macho attitude is going to slip away real fast after about five minutes. You know what? God loved you enough to die so you, couldn't, you wouldn't have to go there. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. I'd encourage you today, if you're here and you don't know Christ, I can't look at hearts. I don't know who's saved, who's not. That's between you and God. But if there's something in you that's going, man, this bothers me. I don't know why, but every time he talks about this, it just makes me uncomfortable. If that's where you're at, can I encourage you to come to me? Come to someone that can open up a Bible and show you how to be saved. Ladies, while this message was primarily directed at men, I hope you can see there's some things you can get out of this as well. Being an example in a wicked and dark world, standing up and standing alone, standing out, these are things we need from you ladies as well. Being different. And hopefully you ladies could bear with me for just a little bit as I address these guys and try to give them some help. Amen. Gentlemen, the Bible says, uh, let us play the men and do valiantly. So as you leave here today, be a man for Jesus Christ. And if you're a lady, be a lady for Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all be dismissed in a word of prayer. We've got ice cream going on out there, so teenagers, get back there if you would. All right, Zephaniah, you get an exemption. You go. No, no, keep going, buddy. You're all right. He's like, whoa, 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 what'd you call me for? Uh, Let's go ahead and be dismissed in a word of prayer, and I'd encourage you, if you can, grab a bowl of ice cream on your way out.